welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the evening service of Sunday the 4th of March 2012, entitled, The Day That God Forsook His Son. And the Bible reading is taken from Matthew chapter 27, verses 45 to 50. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. You'd like to open your Bible this evening for our scripture reading for the Gospel of Matthew chapter 27, and we'll be reading verses 45 through 50. I invite you to stand with me for the honoring, the reading of God's holy word, beginning in Matthew chapter 27 and verse 45. He says, Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Some of them that stood there when they heard that said, this man calleth for Elias. Straightway, one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave it him to drink. The rest said, let be. Let us see whether Elias will come to save him. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. Our Father and our God, what a privilege, Lord, to be able to come before your throne in prayer, to be in your house again this evening. Lord, to have your word before us and your spirit within us. Lord, we pray now that on this evening is that time that we have set aside to Come around the Lord's table to remember him, Lord, his body that was broken for us and his blood that was shed on Calvary. We pray as we look at these few verses in Scripture this evening that you would just take and speak to our hearts. Help us, Lord, to remember just what it was, the great price that our Savior paid for each and every one of us, his great, great love, that grace that is beyond description. May you receive all the honor and glory for us in Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. A little different this evening, you'll find that I think that it's not so much a sermon. Matter of fact, I've got three points here and I haven't even, uh, uh, you know, we talk about alliterating these things to show uh, how illiterate that we really are. Uh, I haven't even tried to make them start with the same letters or words or anything this evening. Just three very simple thoughts says, this is the time that we set aside to come around the Lord's table to remember Him. You know, we really shouldn't need uh, this bread and this cup to remember Him. But I've said many times, the Lord knew better than we did. He knew how full that our lives would be. He knew how easy it would for us to get our attention sidetracked in all these things. And of course, there is no saving grace in what we do this evening. There is nothing magical and mystical about this bread or this cup, but that is something that we come to do to remember Him. It is a special time because it is a time that the Scriptures teach us to examine ourselves. This bread and this cup will not bring us into a closer relationship with Him, but as we're focused upon the Lord Jesus Christ, and as we examine ourselves, you've heard me say, Many times before, 
But you know, the world would never understand it. We seem to talk in circles and talk in opposites to them, to, to everything that they think and say. But the reality is this evening we're not going to leave here with greater, greater fellowship, uh, with greater peace, uh, walking closer to our Savior than when we came in. If we come in here and just do what we need to do to make ourselves feel good and feel happy with who we are right where we are, the simple truth is, is that we hope that we can all leave more like our Savior. We hope that as we look at ourselves, and yes, as we recognize our weaknesses and our failings, but as we look upon Him, we see His sufficiency. Because you see, it's not in ourselves that we can come worthily to this table this evening. It's in the Lord Jesus Christ and His worthiness. As we see His last moments as He hung upon the cross and the passage that is before us this evening, I believe that the words that he cried out there in verse 46, when he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And the words that he cried out, of course, they are not recorded here, but they tell us that he, he cried again with a loud voice. And we know from the other gospels that those words that he shouted out there at the end was, it is finished. I believe those cries were very, very different cries. I believe that cry at the end was a cry of victory, that it was completed, what he had come to do when he came to die on that cross and to become the sacrifice for us. But as we look at those first words, and, and simply this evening, I just want for us to think a few moments on the simple thought, the day that God forsook his son. The day that God forsook His Son. You see, it's something that we probably will never be able to fully grasp. It's certainly something that, I know I look real young, but I've been doing this for a few years now, and I've never, ever, ever been able to find the words. I think there are some things in our Christian faith that we will never fully understand. Things like heaven and hell. Uh, you know, everything that we have to compare both to is earthly things. Uh, we really have no earthly idea. I don't think that our minds can think high enough and wonderful enough to what a place is like heaven that's in the presence of God himself where absolutely no sin exists whatsoever. We have nothing in our thinking that we can even compare that to. We can try to think of the greatest thing in the most peaceful place and the most beautiful place upon this earth, but it's still tainted with sin. Just as much we live in days, especially with much of the intellectualism. And folks, God's got nothing against getting smart. What he has problems with is getting smart with God not being a part of it. Man's knowledge without God. But we live in a day when people want to explain things. You see, the reality is, is that no more than we can understand heaven, we can never understand a place like hell. Because, you know, we try to think and people try to get their minds about it. Well, how could God, you know, make such a horrible, awful place for people to go to? But the simple truth is, is that if you really, really make it in its most simple form, everybody's spending eternity somewhere, either with God or without God. With God or without God. Our mind can't go high enough to comprehend a heaven, the place that is with God and everything, 
that is holy and righteous and pure, but we can only get as close as we can. Jesus himself, in describing the other alternative, heaven and hell are the only two choices of spending eternity in. And really what you have to think of is hell is everything that heaven is not. Hell is everything that heaven is not. He's the light. It is a place without God, a place with no light. Just as there is no sin in heaven, hell is the place where all of those sins, the most hideous, the most horrible, the most awful sins, and he uses this place, Gehenna, because it was the most God-awful place that he could think of on earth that these people would know to describe it to. And I say that because I believe that as Jesus Christ hung there on the cross and he cried out these words, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Do you think Jesus was confused? You know, most of the time when we ask why, it's because we're confused about something. When you trace his life all through the scriptures, everything that's recorded about him. You never find Jesus asking why until this point on the cross. Why? Why hast thou forsaken me? That word forsaken there means to utterly forsake. It means complete and total abandonment. I don't believe that we can begin to understand just as we can't understand all there is to understand about heaven and hell, when he asked this question, the forsaking had already taken place. His being forsaken by the Father left him asking this question, why? When we ask ourselves, well, if he was God, he knew why. Jesus was God incarnate, but he was incarnate in the flesh. He's asking this question because, yes, as God, he knew all things, but as a man, he felt everything. He felt everything that was dished out against him there in Pilate's hall. He felt the pain and the agony of being crucified, of dying the most horrible death that man could come up with the most humiliating death that man could come up with. You see, I don't think there's really any way to divide the difference between the God that was in Christ and the Christ that was in God. You know, it's hard for us to get them. How, how could somebody be all God and all man at the same time? Jesus Christ when he was hanging there, we must keep in mind. When Jesus was forsaken for those three hours, it was dark from noon until three in the afternoon. When he was forsaken, he was paying the full price for our salvation. That included being forsaken by God the Father. This was... I believe probably of all the things that he suffered, the most horrible of all, they'd be forsaken, to be separated 
the Father. And you know, we try to come up with all the most horrible things of man in eternity in that place called hell. And I, I just somehow believe that the most horrible of all of it is going to be being separated from God, being separated from him for all of eternity. Jesus stepped into our place there on the cross. He stepped into our place, the Bible says, so that he could taste death for every man. He had to be forsaken of God. It's interesting as we look at these words, though, this active voice of the tense here, it means that Jesus, the subject, was the one that took the action. You see, he's asking God, why hast thou forsaken me? And yet, the very wording before us and the question that he's asked is something that was not an action that was forced upon him. It was something that was his own choice. He didn't have to be there. He offered himself in our place. We're grasping, we're getting a, a picture of the agony that he felt as he hung there. But he did it willingly. Some Bible commentators have tried to describe what this cry must have been like. You know, most of us have heard at some point, we've heard those cries that we might call blood-curdling or a cry of utter horror. I don't believe that we've ever heard anything like the cry, the agony that Jesus felt when he cried those words from Calvary's cross, when he was forsaken of God the Father. I don't believe we can fully comprehend what he was feeling at that time. There were those that were standing by the cross that certainly heard the cry. And I can only imagine that it would have been one of those instances when have you ever heard a cry of terror or pain in such a way that literally the old saying, the hair stood up on the back of your neck? I don't believe there were any hairs laying flat. The cry that Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Just a couple of things, you know, that will maybe help us to understand a little better this day that God forsook his son. Why? Because Jesus' soul was made an offering for sin. Stop and comprehend. The only person that ever walked the face of the earth that did not deserve death. The only person that ever walked the face of this earth never committed a sin Yet the prophet Isaiah wrote this in Isaiah 53.10. He said, yet it pleased the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Jehovah God. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. 
the Lord. Again, when you think of all that was happening there on the cross, and yet the Bible tells us that it pleased the Lord to bruise him, that when he was, his soul made an offering for our sin, shall prolong his days. <laughs> you know what? The devil was the one that may have gotten a surprise that day because <laughs> I'm sure he sat back and he thought, boy, I've won now. <laughs> this is the day I've been waiting for, the day I've been looking for. Simple truth was, just as God promised here, that offering for sin, it wouldn't end his existence. Because just as we sang there earlier, just as surely as he died on Calvary, he rose the third day, praise God. They found an empty tomb because as Brother Steve was talking in his Bible study class this morning, I love that word, Brother Steve. We challenged them with it. He was a propitiation for our sins. Most of the new Bibles have taken that word out because nobody knows what it is. It doesn't make sense. Problem is, all those simple words they put in there doesn't mean the same thing. It doesn't give us the death depth. He was a propitiation for our sins. He says, and not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. Legally, he fulfilled, met, satisfied every requirement that God had for the payment of sin, because he, his soul, was made an offering for our sin. You see, being forsaken is part of what offering for sin means. Every lost person that goes to hell will experience an offering for sin. Only then will they fully understand what Jesus meant on the cross. You say, well, we can look around us now, there's an awful lot of people that God's certainly not part of their lives. No. You know the most God-awful things and places and people that we can find in this world is still not like what it's going to be like when there is no God. No God. Because they're in a place where they have been forsaken for all of eternity. It's a fact. It is a fact, folks. I can tell you that back when I was a young man, and I spent some very memorable weeks in a place called San Antonio, Texas. And it was in something called basic training or boot camp, as they call it. And it was an interesting thing because, you know, they, they put you through all kinds of physical things. I mean, you've got to do all kinds of running and jumping and exercising and all of this. But to be quite honest... You know, for young men that are 18, 19 years old and they're fresh out of school and, and, and all the athleticism and everything, you know, for the vast majority of them, that's not the hard part. I can assure you, ask any prisoner that's ever been a prisoner of war, why did they try to break us there? It was Most people didn't break because of the physical requirements. It was the mental requirements. Boy, did they ever play with your mind. You didn't know who was coming and who was going, who was your enemy and who wasn't. You had to do all this stupid stuff that made absolutely no sense in all the world. Like every time you took a shower, you had to high shine your soap afterwards. There couldn't be a water spot on it. Every time you used your razor, you had to make sure there was not a hair that had been polished and brushed up. 
You know, all your clothes had to be folded exactly, exactly six inches. Why? You know, all these things, and the list could go on and on and on. Everything had to be hanging in your closet exactly six inches apart with every button facing the same way and all these, all these stupid things. Why? They're playing with your mind. They're making you do a lot of things that don't make any sense because they want to break you mentally. We find that I believe that we can't begin to understand the physical pain. Sometimes we try to correlate Jesus being nailed to a cross and folks, that was meant to be the most painful death that you could die. And yet I don't think that even, as we say, was a drop in the bucket to the mental pain of being forsaken by God the Father, of being separated from God for those hours that he hung there because he, his soul, the Bible says, was made an offering for sin. Spurgeon said this, he said, if the Lord withdraws, if the comfortable light of his presence be shadowed even for an hour, there is a torment within the heart which I can only liken to the prelude of hell. Most of us, if you've been a Christian for very long, you will experience times when maybe the presence of God just wasn't that real. Those times when you've been discouraged or downhearted, maybe you're going through such a dark valley that you just felt like you were there alone. I think the point that Mr. Spurgeon is trying to get across is in our lives, if we can grasp even those things, that's just a prelude. It's just a sample. It's just a, a taste of what hell is going to be like not because what most people get all bent out of shape because of fire and all these things. Folks, I don't think the physical pain of hell is going to even be a comparison to the mental pain of hell, of being separated from God, of knowing, of knowing what you did to get there. When Jesus cried those words, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He was feeling the agony of his soul, his soul, his inner being, all that he was being offered for sin, a soul that knew no sin, a perfect, righteous, and holy soul, and yet being offered for sin. But not only that, the Bible goes a bit further in explaining what was happening there not only was his soul being offered for sin, but the Bible says that Jesus was actually made to be sin for us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, for he, talking about God the Father, hath made him, the Lord Jesus Christ, to be sin for us. Who knew no sin? Why? That we might be made the righteousness of God in him, in Jesus. God made Jesus to be sin for us, the one that knew no sin, so that you and I could be made the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. Prophetically, 
Jesus said in Psalm 22, let's just turn back there for a second. Psalm 22. Notice as we read these words. Notice how it begins, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? Oh, my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not, and in the night season, and am not silent, but thou art holy. O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel, our fathers trusted in thee. They trusted, and thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee and were delivered. They trusted in thee and were not confounded. Notice what Jesus says of himself here in this prophetic psalm. He says, but I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised of the people. What's he talking about? Folks, because Jesus Christ, the holiest of holies, became sin for you and I. The Bible's not trying to somehow give us some kind of a, of a symbolic thing or a type here. Jesus Christ became sin for you and I. That's the only way that he could accomplish what he came to accomplish he said, but I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men, and despised of the people. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head, saying, he trusted in the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. Do you remember as Jesus hung there on the cross? Even the thief, the one thief, <laughs> mocked and made fun, you know, <laughs> Why don't you save yourself and save us with you? We find that as we look here, he said, But thou art he that took me out of the womb. Thou didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breast. I was cast upon thee for thy womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly, but be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have compassed me, strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. They gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and a roaring lion. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws and thou hast brought me into the dust of death. For dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones, they look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. But be not thou far from me, O Lord. O my strength, haste thee to help me. Deliver my soul from the sword, my darling, from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth, for thou hast heard me from the horns of the unicorns. I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. Ye that fear the Lord, praise him. All ye the seed of Jacob, glorify him and fear him. All ye the seed of Israel, for he hath not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, neither hath he hid his face from him. But when he cried unto him, he heard, My praise shall be of thee in the great congregation. I will pay my vows before them that fear him. The meek shall eat and be satisfied. They shall praise the Lord that seek him. 
your heart shall live forever. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn unto the Lord, and all the kindreds of the nations shall worship before thee. For the kingdom is the Lord's, and he is the governor among the nations. They that be fat upon earth shall eat and worship. All they that go down to the dust shall bow before him, and none can keep alive his own soul. A seed shall serve him. It shall be accounted to the Lord for a generation. They shall come and shall declare his righteousness unto a people that shall be born, that he hath done this. You see, in Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 13, the Bible says, Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil, and canst not look on iniquity. What's the prophet saying here? He's speaking about God. He's speaking about God's holy character. Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil, and canst not look upon iniquity. Wherefore lookest thou upon them that deal treacherously, and holdest thy tongue when the wicked devoureth the man that is more righteous than he? Again, we don't even begin at our best moment. We don't really begin to fully understand how horrible that one sin is to a holy God. We, we, we lose track, folks. We look around us, and it's so easy, and, and we run into people all the time, and when we're trying to witness, and, and they've got this block because, you know, how could you have such a loving God and yet allow all these horrible, bad things to go on in the world? How can you call your God loving when people over here are starving and people over here are, are killing each other and, and look at all the catastrophes of the world. Simple truth is what they're looking at is a consequence of sin. It began with one sin in the Garden of Eden, one little old sin of disobedience. You've heard me say it before. You know, Adam didn't go out. I mean, we know people, there's people that we, we lock away because they commit murder or rape or some heinous crime. He disobeyed God. He disobeyed God. The Bible teaches us very clear that when sin entered in, death came with it. Folks, what we see is not the consequences of God. It's the consequences of sin. It's the problem is not God, it's a lack of God. Why did Jesus cry those words? Because when he hung there for us, for us to try to understand what it was like for Jesus' soul to be made an offering of sin, for Jesus to actually be made to be sin for us, you see, we'll never fully understand that. Matter of fact, I don't think that we'll ever really even begin to approach an understanding of it. How can we begin to understand that though God himself, as man, was completely forsaken by God, how can we grasp the torment that that would entail.
one thing that we can grasp is this, thirdly. Jesus, as he hung there, as he was forsaken of God, and as he cried out those words, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You see, there's an awful lot of theological things that you could look at and that you could study and all that was happening there. But this evening, I want to simply remind you, you've never heard a heart-rendering cry like that cry in Scripture. When Jesus was forsaken of his Father, when Jesus, his own soul, was made an offering for sin, when he, the Holy of Holies, became sin for you and I. If it did anything, as we just read there in Psalm 22, folks, it just amplified or magnified whatever word that you want to use there, the need of the sinner, our need this evening. You see, we, we come around this table, and in a moment we'll be taking of this bread and this cup that is symbolic of him, the very one that hung there on the cross, that cried out those words. The simple truth is, do you think if there had been any other way that God would have done it the way he did it? Our sins were atoned for. Our sins were paid for in full. We, we sing that old hymn a lot of times, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had let a, a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Jesus, totally forsaken, totally alone. Colossians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way nailing it to his cross, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. You see, we need to remember, just as surely, just as surely as our minds can never really get around the fact of what Jesus was going through, why he was forsaken, as he cried those words, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Do we recognize this though? Boy, I've seen people celebrate. I've seen people in a triumphant spirit. It might have been because their team just won the football match. It might be because that, you know, their person is up there on the stage receiving that gold medal. It might have been something more important because they've won some big battle in this life. But I'm saying to you, thank God that he cried out those last words, Brother Malcolm, it is finished. Just as surely as I don't think we'll ever grasp the depths of the agony when he was forsaken. That is the greatest triumph in all of history. There is nothing that's ever compared to it than when Jesus Christ 
finished his work, when he paid for our sins, it was done. Thank God we know the end of the story. As we come around this table this evening, he tells us to examine ourselves. Why? Because he knows that, you know, it's not this bread and this cup that will give us the real fellowship this evening. That fellowship is only in his son. That fellowship is in the one that we are remembering. And the truth is, is that it's the sin. Just as it was our sin that nailed Jesus to that cross, that it was a result of our sin, that he bore the sins of the world as he hung there in agony. The simple, simple truth of it all, that as Jesus did all of that for us, even today, when we've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, it was sin that separated us from God in the first place. And Jesus Christ was the only means, the only means of being restored to the Father. Today, as Christians, make no marks. I, I, you know, we don't, we don't say this to be ugly. We don't say it from a haughty spirit. We don't say it from a holier-than-thou spirit. This table this evening is not for lost people. Matter of fact, it's a very dangerous thing for a lost person to make a mockery of something that's so important. This table can't save you. This table is an ordinance of the church that is to be done once you have put your faith in Jesus Christ and been identified with him through baptism. This table is something that as we come to it today, as Christians, folks, it's not to be taken lightly. I want you to have sweeter fellowship this evening, but the same thing that separated you from God in the beginning is the same thing that will separate that fellowship today. Hey, I'm not ashamed. I'm not going to try to explain everything about grace this evening and how that it all works. And, you know, some of it I've been trying to figure out for <laughs> all my years, and yet I still can't explain it all simple truth is this. God's grace is so big that it's unimaginable. It's unexplainable. There are no words to describe just how grand that it is. As we come around this table this evening, he wants fellowship with you. But it's sin in our lives that will break that fellowship and separate us. I know you've heard these words so many times but let me just read them as we listen carefully. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he says in verse 28, but let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, tarry one for another. In other words, the Bible says in another place, know that if you're without chastening, 
then the Bible uses a very strong word, then he says that you are a bastard, you are fatherless. You don't belong to God, in other words. He's saying here, I would rather you take a look at yourself because the thing, this table is not going to give you fellowship with what you're taking of it. It's the Jesus that you're looking to. Look into yourself in light of him. Not comparing yourself with other people, but in light of Jesus. And I want real fellowship. I want anything there that's separating us, that is keeping us from having that fellowship. You examine yourself and you put it away. I would rather you look at yourself and recognize, and we know that's through the power of the Spirit, recognize your sinfulness and deal with it yourself rather than to be judged of God and to be chastened of God because he loves you. Sin is too big a deal just to sweep under the carpet. He said, I'll chasten you before I let you be condemned to the world. You belong to me. This evening is called communion for a reason because it's a time for us to have communion with him. And folks, that's what I want to encourage you this evening. Again, you know, isn't it just sometimes it's, it's the same way. It seems like everything with God. You know, if you want to go up, you got to go down. If you want to go down, you got to go up. <laughs> the reality is that if we want to have sweet, real fellowship this evening, then the only way to do that is to get honest. <laughs> to get honest with what needs to be dealt with because get rid of it. He talks about coming worthily to this table. Folks, I'll guarantee you, this pastor, this preacher will tell you full, full faced, without flinching a bit, I'm not worthy to come to this table. <laughs> I'm not worthy to come to this table. But he is. This evening, none of us are worthy in ourselves. What we've got to do is get the things out of the way that's got us separated from him because it's in Christ. Because I started to make that statement a minute ago. I believe with all my heart, folks. Once you belong to him, you belong to him. This is not about some other step that you've got to take to be more spiritual, to be more godly. What we're doing here this evening is looking to Jesus, remembering him. Our simple thoughts this evening, more of a meditation than a sermon, is simply, you know, he hung there, forsaken, going through most horrible agony that your mind can never imagine what he was going through. But he was victorious. He was victorious. The devil didn't defeat him. He willingly did that for you. And here this evening, he wants, he wants to forgive you your sin. If you're here and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ this evening, then may this be a testimony to you because as I receive of this bread and this cup, in a few moments, I do so as a testimony that all of my hope, if I have any hope at all, it's all in him. It's all in him, every bit of it. And this evening, you don't need religion. You don't have to be a part of a Baptist church or any other church. What you must have 
is relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You must have that relationship with him. That's not belittling. We're, we're, we're going through. We've got two sermons already on. The church is vital and it's important. We'll continue to look at that over the next few weeks on Sunday mornings. But folks, it's all about him. And it's his body and it's his church. And this evening, if you're here this evening and you don't know him, if you don't have that relationship with him, you don't have to leave here. I'll guarantee you the devil wants you to. <laughs> you don't have to leave here this evening not knowing for certain that your sin has been dealt with. He, his sacrifice was sufficient. Has it been applied to your life? Christian, we invite you to come around this table this evening again, not because we're something special, but we also find that this is an ordinance that was given to the local church. And here this evening as we come around this table, now, some churches practice the Lord's table just for members only, and that's fine. We practice what is known as close communion. That's for our members, or if you're here, of like precious faith. If you're part of another church that would stand up on the same truths that we do, then we would invite you to come this evening because it is a table of unity. You find as you read in, in Corinthians, they were literally being rebuked because of the way they were taking this table too lightly. As a people, the unity was not there. So we're not saying that we're perfect. We're saying we're making a mockery of this table in being a unified people if we're not in agreement. So if you're a guest here this evening, if you feel that you know enough about us to know who we are and what we believe, and you're a born-again child of God, if you're not a member of this church, you followed the Lord and believers' baptism, and you're part of a sister church that would believe what we believe here, that we're happy for you to join with us if you so desire. But as we come around this table this evening, it's a very personal thing. Don't worry about what the person beside you is doing. We're going to take just a moment. I know sometimes we get uncomfortable with silence. Sometimes we just need a little silence. We're going to take just a moment of just silence for you to examine yourself, for you to talk with the Lord, and then we'll pray together, and then we'll receive of this bread and this cup as we do this to remember him until he comes for us. And folks, the trumpet may sound before this service comes to a close, and that'll be fantastic. As we take this next bit of time, would you just bow your head quietly you allow yourself to do as the Lord has asked us here? Just examine yourself, not so you can feel bad, but so you can deal with whatever's there that will be bad. <laughs> he wants to get rid of it, and you need to get rid of it. You can leave here this evening more at peace, more at joy, and closer fellowship with him than when you came in, if you're willing to get honest with him and do what he's asked. As we bow our heads for just a moment. Our Father and our God, what a special time as we come around this table again this evening. Lord, and as we turn our attention and focus upon Jesus Christ and what he did for us at Calvary, 
body that was broken for us, the blood that was shed for our sins. Lord, I pray right now. Lord, you know the hearts of each one here this evening better than we know ourselves. I pray that you'd help each one because, Lord, we know that you gave this to us not just to be some other churchy ritual that we do, but, Lord, for the purpose that here this evening we can have communion truly with you. The thing that divides, the thing that separates is that sin in our lives. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to the heart to anybody here that's never truly been born again. I pray that, Lord, you would show them their need this evening. But, Lord, for each and every Christian, for everyone that belongs to you, I pray that you'd help us to look and realize that, Lord, what Jesus Christ did, he did for all eternity. And, Lord, he died for our sins, past, present, and future. And I pray right now that you would help us because you know our weaknesses and our failings, which are many. Help us, Lord, to recognize that our worthiness is in him, though. Help us to surrender whatever needs to be surrendered in our lives. Help us to deal with whatever needs to be dealt with so that here this evening we can know that peace that passeth all understanding. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord, as we take of this bread and this cup. Help us just to, once again, get a closer look, a closer glimpse of our Savior, all that he is all that he is for us. Lord, that last verse that we read there, Lord, it's hard to comprehend how that he, he became sin for us so that we could have his righteousness. Thank you, Father, that we can approach your throne today in the precious and holy name of Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Mm-hmm.